0: Hey everybody, and welcome to iFreaks. This week on our panel, we have Abby Jackson. Hi there. James Uber. Hello from Minneapolis. Joining us after somewhat of a hiatus is Guy Rambo. Hello from Brazil. I'm Andrew Madsen in Salt Lake City, Utah, and we are very happy to have a, a special guest this week. Our guest is Dave Verwer. Dave, do you want to introduce yourself?
1: Hi. Uh, yeah, I'm Dave. Uh, I'm from the UK. Uh, I'm from near Manchester in the UK. Um, and. Uh, Yeah, I've been doing iOS development for a very long time now since before it was called iOS, I guess. So I've been around for a little while.
2: This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io.
0: Great, we're happy to have you on again. Um, I think a lot of our listeners probably know you uh, as the um, proprietor of iOS Dev Weekly, the email newsletter, uh, and lots of other things that you do
1: in the community. The the person who ends ends up in your inbox every Friday afternoon.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, But we actually actually wanted you to come on and talk about something that's new for you, um, and that's the Swift PM library. Why don't you just tell us what that is? And I'm also kind of curious to hear what inspired you to create it.
1: Sure, Uh, so to answer the question of what it is, um, it's basically a site that aims to um, make it easy for people to find packages that support the swift package manager that they could potentially integrate into their um, xcode projects or any other type of projects that support the swift package manager so it's a a repository of all the packages i can find and uh, anyone can contribute packages from anywhere into that library uh, and it will index those packages and allow you to search for um, uh, libraries within them Uh, in terms of um why i built it so I've been thinking about this for a while, and so as soon as the package manager was um, announced and and shipped, in fact, um, I think it was fairly obvious that at some point that was going to be used for iOS projects with Xcode, and it was going to get integrated into Xcode and that kind of thing, but that didn't happen for a long time, and the longer it went Before it happened, um, I thought, well, the Swift package manager, you know, by its definition is a decentralized thing. So when it eventually does end up being the way that people uh, potentially use, um, uh, integrate packages into their projects, um, I wonder if there's room for some kind of library um, website to allow people to to find packages. And I was a big fan of the, CocoaPods project um, with its quality index that it had so that that was um, on the CocoaPods site every package was also given a kind of quality score based on various different metrics Um, and then they used uh, that quality score to indicate you know which packages potentially were the more appropriate packages to include in your project more than just does it match the keyword you're typing. So what I wanted to do was bring an element of that kind of um, solution to the problem of not only finding every package, but finding the best quality packages or the, the packages that are gonna fit within your project better, as well as just bringing a library of packages to the Swift Package Manager.
3: Yeah, I think it's a hole in the, in the market, right, because Pretty much every Package Manager on any ecosystem you can find has some sort of canonical place you can go to and search for packages and learn more about them and even find curated content around those packages. And this was definitely missing for Swift Package Manager. So I think now that that you made it, it's probably going to end up becoming the uh, canonical place people go to to discover new packages.
1: That is one possibility. the other possibility is that the package registry comes along and kills it dead <laughs> and and kills all others as well <laughs> that's right yeah. <laughs> um yeah so um my hope is that it does become uh, a place that people can rely on to get uh the 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 packages that they need um but it's by no means uh, a guaranteed thing. And I think we should talk about the GitHub package registry at some point uh, today as well.
4: That seems like a pretty good segue. What is the package registry?
1: Sure. Um, So back at WWDC this year, um, along with the announcement of um, Swift Package Manager being integrated with Xcode, um, Apple also announced a partnership with GitHub um, for swift to join the github package registry which is a multi-platform multi-language um, tool for registering packages basically so um, it can be um uh registered as like a source for ruby packages uh, ruby libraries uh, npm uh, packages um i don't think python but there were a couple of languages but ruby and javascript are the ones that i remember um and the announcement at WWDC was that Swift was gonna be joining that uh, that group of package, um, uh, what's the right word for it? That group of languages, basically. As part of that, there will be some kind of search. And um, uh, so as more and more packages get indexed by that GitHub package registry, the search for GitHub packages will start to include all those package Uh, files that get included in the registry. Um, I think there's still room for other alternatives to that. Um, I actually have access to the the beta of um, the package registry now. Just as of maybe a week ago, uh, I got access to the beta. And even though Swift isn't yet supported on the beta, I've had a look at how it works for Ruby and NPM. And a couple of things that were really important to me when I was building the Swift PM library was... It needs to be super fast to actually uh, find what you're looking for. So the whole purpose of that site is you go to the site, you type something in, and it lists some packages. That's all the site does. That's literally the only purpose of the site. With the GitHub Package Registry, the way that it seems to be working so far, and of course this is beta, and so everything could change, the way that it seems to be working so far is that you just it piggybacks on the back of GitHub search. So you go to GitHub, and not only is GitHub doing 100 other things as well as being a package uh, search library, once you type a search term into the GitHub search box, you then need to kind of filter by, well, I'm only looking for packages, and then you finally get a list of of package results uh, coming through. So I think they are two quite different things. Um, There's definitely going to be some, Uh, search functionality on GitHub, like I said, but um, GitHub is a lot of other things as well. And ideally, what I really hope for is that GitHub becomes, I mean, GitHub is already the default choice for people to host their open source uh, libraries. So what I hope is that GitHub have an API exposing all of the packages that are listed in the GitHub package registry. I can then pull that list out and index those packages um, for the Swift PM library. So the the task of finding packages, which is um, something I've been handling um, by just asking the community to contribute their packages, I hope that GitHub can kind of take that side of it away. The other thing that I'm doing on the Swift PM library, which I don't think GitHub will ever do, is I'm doing some kind of Swift specific analysis of the packages to figure out things like what version of Swift does the package support? Uh, Does it have an Xcode project? I'm kind of reading in metadata out of that Xcode project and that kind of thing. Um, Given that the package registry from GitHub is supporting Ruby, JavaScript, and Swift, I think the chance of them adding Swift specific features and Swift specific metadata is fairly slim. So uh, I think there's room for both things, or at least I hope there's room for better things. Uh, well, that makes Dave. Sense.
5: Oh, sorry. Uh, Dave, I have a, a lot of questions, um, but I was wondering, <laughs> sure. before we get too deep into the specifics of how the package manager library and your implementation works, there's probably a lot of listeners that haven't yet worked with Swift packages, and I was wondering if you sure. could give a rundown of, um, you know, what is a Swift package compared to, for example, using uh, any other kind of library or compared to using CocoaPods?
1: Sure. Um, So it's very similar to using CocoaPods in in that you create a library. Um, You can now use Xcode to create that library directly. There's new menu options in Xcode 11 to uh, allow you to create a new library. It will give you a kind of framework for a library. You can then start writing your code inside that library. And you can uh, also include other dependencies, um, other libraries as dependencies inside either either a library or your Xcode project. So if you're using it to potentially replace uh, CocoaPods, um, what you could do is you, in your uh, iOS application inside Xcode uh, on, I think it's the file menu, there's a Swift packages um, sub menu, and you can go in there and you can say add a dependency, uh, you paste in a URL to a Swift package, um, and it will go and fetch that code from the, um, the, the repository, the, the Git repository where that library is stored. Um, it will integrate it into your project and give you access to the code, just like CocoaPods or Carthage would uh, in a project. There are a couple of limitations of the Swift package manager at the moment. Um, the most important of those is that currently it doesn't support anything that is um any kind of resources inside a a package so you can't for example have a package that includes zip files or um, images or audio files or something like that Uh, i was talking to someone the other day actually and they suggested or they they reminded me that in the very early days of um, ios development uh, that was also a limitation of static libraries back then and the way people got around it was they base 64 encoded images and resources inside source files so technically you could do that right now but obviously that's not an ideal situation so swift package manager does have some limitations i know that limitation of resources is definitely something that's on um uh the the, the kind of radar of the Swift Package Manager team. I don't think we've got any confirmation that it will, or when it will be, will be added to the Swift Package Manager, but I, I hope and I'm sure at some point it will be. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's a effectively, it can take the place of something like CocoaPods or Carthage for bringing dependencies into your iOS project. Right, so think. are
5: Swift packages um, essentially libraries or uh, are they frameworks? Or are they a completely separate entity?
1: i guess they could uh th- well they are kind of libraries uh that could be frameworks so uh yes they are they are units of code that you could bring into another project
0: i think another one of the big limitations at the moment maybe this is bigger for mo- more people for some people than others but is that you cannot mix languages in a swift package so you can actually write swift packages in objective c swift c I-, I don't think c++ but Certainly see Objective-C and Swift, you, but you cannot use two or more languages inside of a, of a package. Which means if you've got an Objective-C package that you want to migrate to Swift, all well, you got to do it all in one go, you know?
5: Yeah. Right. There's similar limitations with frameworks as well because you can't, um, there's some problems with uh, module map files in uh, Swift and Objective-C files if the languages are mixed. So, it's probably related to those underlying problems
3: yeah and that's one of the limitations that's actually preventing me from adopting uh, Swift packages more broadly uh, on my code bases because I love to include resources in in my frameworks, so for now, I'm just using the standard Xcode way of creating new targets and, and frameworks, but I, I hope there's a solution for that soon. But I'm actually using uh, a Swift package that I made myself using Xcode for a future project that doesn't require resources, so I'm fine there. And I also want to open source it, so that's something that made me uh, actually decide to make a package instead of just making a regular framework. Uh, And I'm sure that being a Swift package will make it be adopted more easily by other developers. Uh, how do you think, Dave, Swift Package Manager compares to things like CocoaPods, Carthage, and other ways we've had uh, of integrating third-party dependencies on iOS projects?
1: GitHub, uh, sorry, Git uh, submodules. <laughs> um, yeah, that as yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, even though Swift Package Manager has been around for quite a while now, um, I think it's still really early days uh, for it. And while I think it would be great to see the community converge on one package manager um, solution, I'm not sure it's going to be a quick or an easy transition. Um, Because of the way it's launched with a couple of quite significant um, uh, downsides, um, I think it's not something that a lot of people even can actually switch over to at the moment. Um, yes, it's now supported in Xcode, but those limitations that, that are currently there are uh, significant. And also, using two package managers together, while I've, I've not tried it myself, but apparently it is possible, um, it's definitely not an ideal solution. And so you have a fairly dominant Package Manager solution at the moment in CocoaPods. Then you have Carthage, which is um, uh, very flexible, and um, also supports, has good support across a lot of existing libraries. You tend to only be using one or the other of those two solutions. If you want to use Swift Package Manager, then either you're gonna have to wait until every dependency you have supports Swift Package Manager, or you're gonna have to try and use too and in that situation where the packages that you use or the libraries that you use they probably almost certainly support either Carthage or CocoaPods so that barrier to adopting Swift Package Manager is actually quite high and I think it will be quite high for a little while I do hope that we do eventually get a convergence on Swift Package Manager because it's managed by Apple Um, it's going to be Uh, obviously well-maintained and it's always going to work with the latest version of xcode and all those things that potentially you know when a new version of xcode comes out there's obviously the beta period but also after that there's potential compatibility problems with the other package managers going forward so it's a cleaner option it's probably a better option in the long run but i think the um the transition to it is going to be painful
5: yeah, kind of like all things Swift, right? Um, <laughs> with uh, there's, I mean, there's a there's a big difference between CocoaPods and Carthage as far as project setup goes. With CocoaPods, adding uh, a workspace does the Swift package course, yeah. require a workspace, or can be the added to a project?
1: It doesn't. No, it doesn't require um, a workspace at all. Um, uh, what it does do, and um, Guy can probably uh, uh, give a better explanation of this, um, but it's so if you if you write a library that has dependencies with the Swift package manager, those dependencies are specified in the package.swift file. If you add dependencies to your Xcode project, those dependencies are not stored in a package.swift file. They're stored, um, I believe, somewhere inside the Xcode project. I'm sure somebody can correct me on this. So if, if anyone knows the details of exactly where they're stored, please interrupt
3: i don't think nobody knows,
1: knows. <laughs> okay <laughs> i'm pretty sure well they're certainly not stored inside a package.swift so i think that's stored kind of deep inside the xcode project so um uh, i think um it doesn't need an xcode workspace which is good um uh, but i think the uh, the the opaqueness of where those references are stored is potentially not not ideal
2: Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood. And over the last few years, I've gotten to know a lot of great people within the Microsoft community and specifically in the .NET area. Uh, One of our guests from JavaScript Jabber, Sean Claybo, actually reached out to me and said he wanted to start a show on .NET. And there are a ton of people out there that I feel like sometimes get neglected in the .NET space. So if you're one of those folks, uh, you've been listening to maybe one or two of the other .NET focused or Microsoft focused podcasts for a while and thought, well, where's the devchat.tv style podcast for me in .NET? You can find it. It's at adventuresin.net.net is spelled out, D-O-T-N-E-T. Adventuresin.net.com. Go check it out today.
0: I will say though, that just from an end user perspective, if you're kind of going for the happy path, it is very, very easy to use Xcode 11 Swift Package Manager support to include a package in your project. Might Absolutely. You either Carthage or CocoaPods.
1: And the nice thing about it as well is that when you have added a dependency to Xcode, it is just listed right there in the sidebar for you to see. Updating those packages, uh, updating those dependencies is really trivially easy as well uh, inside Xcode. So it's a much smoother uh, experience um, uh, once you have it um, integrated.
0: You mentioned when you were talking about what inspired you to create the Swift Package Manager library, Um, You you talked about CocoaPods quality metrics, which I've also always liked. I don't, I've I've actually never used CocoaPods for dependency management in a production app um, where I had control over it. Uh, But I've used their package registry to find libraries a lot because, partly because they have those quality metrics. And I think they're a really good way to see just at a glance without having to sort of dig through on your own whether a library is worth looking into further or is probably kind of garbage. Um, yeah. what have you, you know, what, what along those lines have you incorporated so far and what do you have plans to do?
1: Yeah. So I think this is, this is really where my project has a chance to shine. Um, like you, I was a big fan of that CocoaPods quality index. I thought it was a fantastic initiative. Uh, unfortunately the quality index on CocoaPods was actually, um, taken offline a little while ago. Um, and it's no longer, in fact, I think recently even all of the old data has been removed from it now, so it, it is it is no longer indexing the quality of of um, cocoa pods. But that idea I thought was really powerful, and what it did was it gave it um, gave, gave each pod or package uh, a score based on some metrics, basically. I think that is a really interesting um, subject because choosing dependencies, I mean, adding a dependency as a, to your project is not something that you should do lightly you know every dependency that you add in your project is additional technical debt basically um, all of the bugs in that package now become your bugs as well um, and I mean we've talked everyone's talked about this problem forever and ever and it's it's I think it's fairly well understood that adding a dependency is not something that you should do without thinking about it so to try and find the right package to add is just as important as uh, finding a package that actually solves your uh, uh, your requirements, um, and there are several things that I'm doing already. To uh, the way the way that I'm doing it right now is I'm sorting the search results by a quality score uh, that I'm creating. Um, that score is currently based on just a few metrics. So the ones that I'm currently supporting uh, currently. Um, indexing on is, does it support the latest major version of Swift? How many releases of the package have there been? So if it's a package that is brand new and has only had one uh, kind of version release, that gets scored lower than something um, that's had 100 version releases. Um, If it's on GitHub, how many stars does the repository have? I think that's a good indicator of potential maturity and quality. Um, I'm also starting to pull in some um other data uh, data like is the license file does the license file exist and is it a um uh, uh, an open source license that is not encumbered by um you know uh, gpl and things like that so i i give it points for um mit bsd style licenses um and not so much of it well certainly not if it's uh unlicensed um that that uh doesn't get any points for that of course
5: so it's a really good idea
1: that that is uh, and actually I, I i highlight what the license is in the search results as well because licensing is such an important part of uh, picking a dependency if you if you're not very aware of the license that you're um uh, the package that you're potentially bringing in is is licensed under then that's just a terrible situation to be in because you don't want to get a year down the that down the road, and realize that something you've been relying on is actually not should not really be in your, in your product
4: um, that makes, that makes a lot of sense uh, so I'm looking through I did a search for c s v because that's something I worked with on one of my command line apps, and I like that you had them ranked, and the one I used was second and one thing that's really cool is you can see the develop branch, see what version of Swift it's on, and a release to see what's first so this top one is c swift v uh, it's The release version is still on Swift 4, but you can see it's being worked on in Swift 5. The one I use, csv.swift, is second, and they're both at 5. Um, So that's really cool. Uh, There's a gray little box next to the Swift version. Like, what what is that?
1: Um, So that is, um, so a Swift package can include uh, one of two things. It can include uh, libraries or executables. Um, And it can actually include multiple libraries and multiple executables so that is it like a little um box icon yeah the box yeah so that box icon uh, is indicating that it has one library in it if there were multiple libraries that would be a box with a number next to it and if there were executables as well it would show that as a as a different icon with a potentially a number next to that as well so it's indexing the version of the uh, version of swift that it supports, whether it's a library or an executable or multiples of each of those. And then it's pulling out things like, um, if the author of the package has specified that it supports uh, Mac OS, iOS, tvOS, watchOS, it will pull out the version numbers uh, of those um, that it supports. So you can get quite a good at a glance look at whether this package is going to be compatible with what you're doing. Is it a library? And does it support the platforms you're targeting uh, just from those search results without even clicking through to the package itself?
4: No, it's a really helpful tool. I mean, previously I didn't use the GitHub tool. I just Google it and hope that whatever right. came up to the top was good. It frequently wasn't. So you had to go through a couple of pages to find the one, but this is all right here in front of you. So this is a really, really helpful tool.
1: The other thing you mentioned there, which I think is worth talking about is the... The fact that the library indexes multiple versions of each package. So when I was building this tool, um, I was just initially, in the first version of it that I I released, um, I just passed the information out of the package repository at the kind of master branch. So whatever got checked out, uh, that's what I used to gather the metadata, Um, but fairly quickly, I came across the problem of, well actually, the master branch might be supporting Swift Package Manager, it might be supporting Swift 5, it might be supporting Swift 5.1, but actually the latest released version might not support Swift Package Manager, it might only support Swift 4. Um, and when you add a dependency through Xcode, Xcode will um, look for A semantic version number as a tag in the uh, list of tags in the git repository and it will add by default it will add the package at that tag you can customize that to target master if you'd like to but by default it's going to target a specific version number and so I was suddenly kind of giving potentially inaccurate results because uh, those two things are not the same obviously so what I'm now doing is I am um, iterating around every single tag in the uh, repository and passing the Swift metadata for every single um, version that has ever been released. Now, obviously a lot of those for a lot of packages don't even support the Swift package manager because a lot of packages have been around for longer than the Swift package manager has. Um, And I only ever display up to three of those versions on the search results. I always display the master branch because that's a good indication of what's going to happen in the future for this package. So what are are people working on for maybe a next release? Because most packages use the master branch as their kind of development branch. The second one is the latest stable version. So any semantic version, any git tag, which is a valid semantic version number that does not have a pre-part. So 1.0.0-beta1 would would be excluded. 1.0.0 would be included for that. So it's the latest stable version. And then if there is one, the latest beta version as well. So you might get uh, an indication of what's the latest stable version of this package supporting, what's the latest beta supporting, and then potentially what's master supporting as well. If any of those things point to the same so if there is no beta version or if the latest beta version is the same as master or something like that it will only show you the 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 the, um versions of that metadata that are actually different but it'll show you up to three
3: now you mentioned uh one of your uh goals was to have really fast search uh so could we dive a little bit into how you made that search and how (laughs) you made it be fast
1: yeah, um, so it's actually, it's slower now than it was at the very beginning. Um, the f- the first version of this site uh, used a <laughs> extremely primitive uh, search, which was a like query. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you've got to ship these things early, right? Let's get some feedback. Let's pe- see if people actually want to use this site, first of all. The MVP, was, right? The MVP was just incredibly fast, as all MVPs are, right? (laughs) Um so that was obviously very, very fast, but not particularly great in terms of um actual quality of search. You know, if you if you mistyped even one character or if you had a space in it or something like that, if you hadn't got that exactly right, then it wouldn't actually find your package. So I switched over to um Elasticsearch in the latest release. And again there were a couple of interesting Decisions to be made there. We just talked about the different versions of metadata. So each package has potentially lots of different metadata to index. Um, What do you actually search? Do you search the latest stable release? Um, I went in the end with just searching master because it's most likely that master has the best metadata. So in terms of finding the package, I'm gonna search just the metadata that's off the master branch or whatever the default branch is. I then basically rely on Elasticsearch to um, give me a nice fast search engine. Um, I am not an expert in writing a search engine um, and the people who created Elasticsearch are. Uh, so I kind of rely on uh, on those, those wonderful people who uh, produce the Elasticsearch product.
5: So Dave, are you um, caching anything or storing anything or is everything always dynamically generated?
1: Um, Yes, I am storing, uh, a lot of data on this. <laughs> so, um, the server actually checks out every repository from every package that it knows about. So it knows about 3,400 packages so far. Um, and so the disk on the server has a full deep clone of every one of those packages. Um, and, uh, Obviously when you want to do a search, uh, you don't want to start looking through metadata at that point because that would be terribly slow. So every time it finds new commits in any of those repositories, it passes them out and, and checks whether there's any new tags. And uh, if it finds commits, it re-indexes the master version as well, and it pulls all of that metadata out into a um, a database. And then the database is what gets searched by uh, Elasticsearch. So If you add a package to the index, um, it takes up to 10 minutes, because the the process that checks uh, for new packages runs every 10 minutes. So it takes up to 10 minutes for it to be added to the index, and as soon as it's added to the index, the server will check it out, pass all the versions of all the metadata, get that in the database, and you should then be uh, indexed by um, the site. Um, So. And how does
3: one get their package into your index?
1: So at the moment, um, the way that this works is there is a a JSON file that is just purely an array of strings of um, Git repository URLs. So you can, that's an open source repository, uh, the JSON file, Um, you can fork that JSON file, you can add your packages to it by just adding extra rows in that array uh, and you can contribute that back to the JSON file. And let me just have a quick look. There have currently been 122 pull requests on that, plus all the packages that I um, started with, as well as a couple of large um, contributions from other people who had been doing similar kind of um, projects to this in the past.
5: Oh, they were probably super happy that you took up the reins.
1: Uh, yeah, there was one. Uh, so um, a guy called Kyle, I think Newsom. Um, uh, I maybe got that surname wrong. Uh, forgive me if I did. Well, there Who? there is
5: there is a Kyle Newsom. He's in Toronto. Yes. And he runs the the Swiftio events
1: that's the one. Um, I'm glad I got it right. Um, hi, Kyle. <laughs> um, yes, he uh, ran a, uh, a project that um, used um, GraphQL to query the GitHub API uh, to pull out a list of packages that had Swift, uh, package.swift files. Um, so his site that he built is no longer operating but he was able to contribute a huge amount of data um i also did uh, an initial trawl of um the cocoa pods repository to find any cocoa pod that also had a package.swift file and so the vast majority of packages that are on the site um are from one of those two sources but then like I say, 122 pull requests merged so far. So um, people are adding their packages.
0: My, I was pull request number three um, to add one of my own packages. And I was just That's looking- fantastic. <laughs> I was just looking through the package.json just now and I noticed that I have another package in there that I did not add. Um, <laughs> and I got curious about that because it's actually just a little demo package that I created in the course of a live coding demo at a Cocoheads presentation. Um, and I wonder how it got sucked up. <laughs> and there's, there's nothing in it. It's like one function with a print statement or something, you know? Um, and I so, wonder how that got picked up.
1: Well, I, so I, I get blame would answer that. Um, I think it would probably be either the pull request from Kyle or my it. Well, if it wasn't a CocoaPod, then it wouldn't have been in my initial search. But this is, again, this is an interesting topic because the last thing I want to do is be any kind of gatekeeper to what packages um you know i'm making air quotes here but what packages deserve to be in a package library right i don't want any responsibility for that uh, decision that's not something i'm interested in doing at all and so if you're going to have potentially thousands of packages some of which will be you know completely um uh unsuitable like for example the one you just talked about for actually including in a um uh, an xcode project i don't think the solution to that is to not index them i think the solution to that is to make the sort order and the metadata that you can get about those packages give you good information about whether you should include it or not so hopefully from what the the search results where that package appears in the search results. Um, And certainly, I have plans to um, expand this in the future in terms of uh, other uh, aspects contributing to the package quality. Um, Hopefully those packages will fall to the bottom of the search results. Of course, if anybody does want to remove their package from the library, I also accept pull requests removing packages from that index and they will be automatically deleted from the library as soon as that happens.
2: One of my favorite communities in programming these days is the Angular community. Every time I go to an Angular conference or meet up with some of my friends who are in the Angular community, I have a great time. And a lot of them have wound up on Adventures in Angular. So if you're doing front-end development, you're looking for a way to keep current on the Angular ecosystem, and you want to have a good time listening to fun people talk about great topics related to Angular, then go check out Adventures in Angular at adventuresinangular.com.
3: So just for fun, I went looking and this particular uh, package uh, Andrew mentioned was added on August 24th uh, by Bitwit in the commits titled merge Swift package directory URLs with Swift uh, PM library. So that's how it ended up there.
1: That was the big pull request from Kyle. Live
4: investigation. (laughs)
5: <laughs> um, hey Dave, you you brought up a really interesting topic, and I don't know um, if CocoPods handles this or um, if they do how they handle it. But you mentioned you know not wanting to be a gatekeeper, and you also mentioned that uh, you can make a pull request to remove something. Um, so this is a kind of a two-part question. First of all, for this pull request to remove things, can anyone do that, or is it only to remove one that you own?
1: Um, no, it's anybody can do that. And just like I, I've, I've said in the contribution guidelines that you shouldn't feel like you can only suggest your own packages. Um, if a package is open source, I think it's fair game to be indexed in, uh, a search engine. Um, if, if there's anything in that package that would, that, that would, that should not be in a search engine, there's the potential that it shouldn't be open source, um, And certainly I can only index packages that are completely open and downloadable by everybody. Now, of course, you can remove your own packages. Would I accept a pull request from somebody who was just removing random packages? Probably not, Um, but that's the beauty of pull requests. I do get to uh, uh, take a look at what's actually coming in and out of the package. library. And and while I'm not being a gatekeeper, I can certainly check for things like if somebody deleted 2000 URLs, I I wouldn't merge that one. (laughs) Um,
5: So do you know, um, I, I guess because you're just you know a single person and eventually maybe you'll have some people helping you but it'll still be a very small community um it'll be easier for you to do this kind of thing for example a um a swift package that has security implications somebody could put a pr up to have that removed and i'm sure if you or the community looked at it you could decide that yes we shouldn't be putting things up that you know are insecure but um I mean, is that something that you expect to come up, or is that something that, uh, for example, CocoaPods currently has a process for handling, or is it just whatever's there is there, and it's up to the developers to decide if it's secure or not?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's certainly from what I know of the way that CocoaPods was organized, there was nothing like that on the CocoaPods side. Um, I that would hasn't come up yet. Um, I think there's always the potential for that to come up. I think it depends. I mean, you look at things like, um, NPM, they've had several uh, security issues with packages that have been hijacked by people. And then those packages get into the, um, the registry and people download them and their, their projects rely on them. And then suddenly some malicious code is injected into one of those packages and everybody's running that malicious code.
5: Yeah.
1: There's always the potential for that kind of thing to happen. That I think is more the responsibility of the maintainer of the package. Um, the search engine that points people towards that, would I remove something if, it was, if there was a big scandal and it didn't get sorted out by the maintainer? Potentially, but I think more likely the maintainer of the package is going to take that um, responsibility and get that code out of there or get that security issue fixed.
5: Right. What about situations where um, there have been frameworks where um, it's become known that Apple will reject apps for using them? Um, You know, is there, is that something that you would ever consider highlighting uh, in your repository?
1: I think, um, so I actually, I actually wrote one of those frameworks that Apple will reject you for. Um, (laughs) um, (laughs) uh, There was a, 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 Package uh, it actually doesn't support the Swift Package Manager because it's it's kind of deprecated these days. But there was um, a project of mine uh, called Simulator Status Magic, which um, gives you a kind of perfect status bar on your simulator. So it gives you like a full battery and nine forty one as the time and that kind of thing. Um, but it very clearly says in the readme of that this is for taking screenshots on a simulator build only. Do not submit this to Apple, of course, because it uses a private API to get that working. again my gut feeling says that that is the responsibility of the package maintainer to highlight that now this does bring up one interesting topic which is the type of metadata that is currently supported in the package.swift file is actually fairly limited so for example there is no um, package description in the package.swift file, which is the the kind of uh, the metadata file to describe your package as a package author. And one thing that I've done um, in the last few weeks is have a discussion over at the um, Swift Package Manager forums, the official Apple uh, forums um, uh, at the Swift project on this. And uh, I proposed potentially an additional metadata file, Because the package.swift is a Swift file, uh, you can't just add arbitrary metadata into it. Um, That metadata has to go through a whole process of being approved and then it gets included in the next release of the package manager. So I have proposed that a new metadata file is kind of added to Swift packages with additional um, bits of information in it, like for example, a package description. Uh, there's also no support currently in package.swift for letting uh, people know whether your package supports Linux. Uh, they do support letting you um, tell people it supports iOS, macOS, tvOS, and watchOS, but not Linux. So because we can't just add random bits of metadata into that package.swift file, potentially there's there's room for another file there. Now I could see um, information like should not be included in release bills or something like that could be a piece of metadata in that new uh, metadata file. So there's a potential there to start to bring some of that information if it becomes a problem into the library um, through that additional metadata file. But I'd, again, I'd want, I'd want the library maintainers to be responsible for setting that metadata rather than me making a decision on, on that.
5: Yeah, I think that's, I mean, I think that's really the most responsible way to do it. Because like you said, it it shouldn't be up to any one person or any group to decide who can have access to things. Um, And I mean, there are valid reasons that someone may want to even use a problematic SDK, for example, if they're purposely trying to um, break their app or do penetration testing, or if they're doing an enterprise with internal distribution only, it doesn't really matter what the app store thinks.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I'm hopeful, so I, I haven't yet put together the uh, potential spec for this additional metadata uh, file, but I'm hopeful that uh, if I do do this, um, it, it's potentially um, something that, that would get adoption because Apple um, uh, have, in that thread that I created on uh, the Swift Package Manager forum, said that this actually might be a good way to prove what bits of metadata should actually be migrated across into package.swift if if any other metadata file gets popularity and everybody is adding for example a flag to say this package supports linux or not maybe that's a good candidate for actually going into the swift evolution process to add into the package.swift file so and at that point i would absolutely want to get that data out of the additional metadata file and into package.swift so I'm not trying to undermine the package.swift file here. It's just that that has some limitations that that are not easy to add. And obviously the Swift evolution process is is very good, but it's not particularly fast. So if you wanted to test something out, get some metadata indexed, the best way to do that would be something that doesn't affect that core package.swift file.
0: I have one more thing I want to ask before we wrap up and get to our picks. Um, I, I hope I didn't miss this already, but how did you how did you, what is uh what is the swift pm library built in
1: <laughs> so i have answered the question i haven't answered the question tonight but i've answered this question the very first question that comes out of anybody's lips whenever i tell them about this project is did you use swift on the server um because it seems like such an obvious uh choice for swift on the server right it didn't it certainly does. um <laughs> i didn't so I, my background before iOS development, I mean, I've done iOS development since the very beginning, but before I was doing iOS development, um, I was doing a lot of Rails development. So I have a background in that, and I know that, I mean, I was a bit rusty on it, to be frank, but I, I, I've i developed enough in that that I got back up to speed r- relatively quickly. Um, I also wanted something that was going to be fast to build because I wanted to build this, obviously, it's not uh, a commercial projects, it's not making any money or anything like that, so I needed to build it really fast if it was going to be viable for me to actually spend the time to do this. Um, And while Swift on the server is a very exciting technology and I would love to build something in it one day, it's certainly not the technology to choose if you want to get something written fast, reliable, running easily on a server. Uh, and so I picked uh, Ruby on Rails for uh, this backend um, purely because it was the easiest way for me to get this project up and running.
0: I think that's kind of cool. All right, well, um, that's about about time for us. Uh, let's get to our picks. James, do you have a pick for us?
4: Um, sure. So I'm sure all of us, I mean the panelists and listeners are, are big fans of Dave's email list, so I'm not, I'm not gonna pick that. But I do have a way that I, I, I read um, his iOS Dev Weekly because, you know, my email box is getting full of, like, these newsletters of people putting together, like, really good content. And, you know, during the workday, I don't really have time to read that stuff. And, like, the time I actually read is, like, in the evening. I don't really want to have, like, an iOS device, like, blasting light in my, in my eyes. So I read on a Kindle. So I was like, well, how can I do this? So what I do is I, I have a special subscription to Dave's thing, it's through um, Kill Your Newsletter. Um, and it'll it'll just uh, turn Dave's newsletter into RSS feed and I import that into inner reader and that can send it to Reable, which sends it to my Kindle. So when I, so later, I get down to read in the evening after nine o'clock or whatever, I can just get on my Kindle. I don't have any bright lights pointing at me and I can get all the cool content because previously I just wasn't reading a lot of newsletters and I was missing a lot of cool stuff, but this is one way that I can do it on my own time and without blasting my eyes and keep me awake all night. So those are my picks and that's how I read Dave's newsletter.
1: I can save you a step in that. Um, so the the thing that you're using to turn the email into an, uh, an RSS feed, um, iOS Dev Weekly already has an RSS feed. So you could just f- pull that feed straight in from the site. And
4: I'm, I might be doing that, but other, other newsletters I actually do. Sure. Yeah.
0: Thanks, James. Abby, do you have any picks for us?
5: Um, I had one, and and I have forgotten it. So um, let's pull one out of the air here. <laughs> um, I am oh, I I I've gone completely blank. Can we? Swap well,
3: I them? yeah, I can come back to you. Gee, <laughs> uh, do you have a pick for us? Yes, I do. Uh, I'm going to pick a series of videos uh, from a YouTube channel that I've been following for quite a while. Uh, this YouTube channel, I think is called One Lone Coder. And he is currently working on an NES emulator that he's writing in C++. And there's this series of videos where he goes through the steps and how the emulator works and how the CPU on the NES works. So, if you're into games and emulation and old school games, this is a fascinating series of videos to watch.
0: Cool, I'll check that out. I have a friend that's also working on an NES emulator written in Swift. In fact,
3: is it a Riley? It is not. Oh, um, I thought he. he we good. recorded stack trace with uh, Riley today. He's working on Delta uh, and All Star, so I'm oh, gonna cool. sub pick that. <laughs> Very cool.
0: Well I have uh I have a pick too. Um I'm going to pick iTerm, specifically iTerm2. iTerm is a third-party terminal emulator app, you know, terminal app for macOS that's been around for a very long time. 10 15 years, I don't know. Uh and I've I used it like back in the PowerPC days for a while but hadn't used it again with Catalina and the switch to zsh is the normal or the default shell i thought oh, i'm gonna i'm gonna while, while i'm switching shells i'm gonna switch terminals as well um, and so i'm using iterm uh, with a pretty customized setup using oh my i don't know how you say it oh my zsh which is a sort of bunch of add-ons for zsh to make it pretty nice pretty cool like color, very nicely colored and there's lots of themes and you get support for Get status right in your terminal without having to run get status. It's just always active, and there's a bunch of other stuff you can add to a whole plugin ecosystem. Um, so if you want to kind of supercharge your terminal, uh, check out iTerm, which is uh, which does a lot of stuff um, itself. And then to go even further, check out Oh My Zsh. That's my pick. Dave, do you have a pick for us?
1: So I was thinking about this today, and uh, rather than like a tool or a utility or something like that. Um, I thought, given what I do all week is read blog posts, I thought I would uh, recommend a blog post, um, and it was something I linked to on Friday's iOS Dev Weekly. But just in case you missed it, um, there was a uh, an article by Brian Donahue, um, who is the person who uh, runs Instapaper these days, um, and he. Wrote uh, a piece on uh, last week called "Advice for Software Apprentices," uh, and it's about the process of of getting yourself into the industry, getting a job when maybe you've been through a boot camp or maybe you've come out of um, uh, university or something like that with a degree, um, and how to make yourself um, stand out from the crowd, but in a really practical way. And I thought it was just such a great article that I mean, it was clearly for me, it was the link of 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 last week i thought it was just fantastic um and it had bits of advice in it like you don't don't, don't necessarily try and uh, say that you're absolutely everything it's, it's very tempting to say oh i'm a full stack engineer um, and actually if everybody's saying they're a full stack engineer then everyone kind of looks the same and if you are just coming out of a boot camp or university or something like that yes you might have experience in a little bit of each of those things but if you actually want to stand out, maybe you specialize in one thing that you really love or that you're really good at. Um, And actually highlighting your skills in that way, can actually make you stand out from the crowd. Um, uh, And so I, I I really liked this post. It was a very fresh take on the whole uh, topic. And actually also, if you're not in that situation of trying to get into the industry for the first time, but if you're in, any involved in any way in the hiring process read this article because there's some really great ways to think about the people who you're um, uh, interviewing and you're you're uh, bringing through that process uh, in, in a way that you may not be thinking about it so far I, I loved it I thought it was a great post um, so I, I've popped a, a link to that in the uh, show notes if you'd like to, to link to that but it's on um, uh, btdonahue.com.
0: Great, thanks, Dave. Abby, I'm just coming back to you if you've remembered what you were going to.
5: Pick. Yeah, yeah. Um, my my pick actually is a is a new app. It's in uh, public beta. It's called Cocoa Hub, and it's a uh, basically a news reader for anything to do with uh, um, Xcode, iOS, anything like that. I mean, uh, it's got Apple News, but it also has uh, Dave, the iOS Dev Weekly, is in there. Um, Gee, your podcast Stack Trace, whenever it's published, it shows up in there, and um, I really like it because I don't have to go to thousands of different sources now to find all of the n- new information. I'm sure that it doesn't have everything, but um, it is just in public beta and it's still coming out and it doesn't really feel like a beta app. It's I haven't had any problems with it at all yet. So you can sign up for it at uh, cocohub.app.
0: Oh, this is cool. I hadn't seen this before. Thanks for picking it.
5: Uh, I, I love
1: it. it. I think it's really good. Yeah, it's great. I've uh, I've been using it too.
0: All right, well, thanks everybody so much for being on the show, and especially thanks to Dave for coming to talk to us about the Swift PM library. Dave, if people don't already uh, follow you, how can they get a hold of you?
1: Uh, yeah, so the best way probably is um, either on Twitter, where my username is just my name, Dave Verwer, um, or at my website, which is Um, And then on that website, there's links to various different projects that I, I run, including iOS Dev Weekly iOS dev jobs, iOS dev directory, Swift package running library and various other things. So thank you very much for having me on. It's been a, an absolute pleasure. Thank you. And
0: we'll have- it's been great, Dave. Uh, we'll have links in the show notes uh, for all of the things we've talked about. Thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you next week.
2: Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit cachefl to learn more.